0: SECTIONS 39 AND 40 OF 100% THE STORY OF A PATRIOT BY UPTON SINCLAIR THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN SECTION 39 PETER HAD A MIDNIGHT APPOINTMENT WITH MCGIVNEY, AND NOW HAD TO GO AND ADMIT THIS HUMILIATING FAILURE. HE HAD DONE HIS BEST, HE DECLARED. HE HAD inquired AT THE DESK AND WAITED AND WAITED, BUT THE HOTEL PEOPLE HAD FAILED TO NOTIFY HIM OF LACKMAN'S ARRIVAL. ALL THIS WAS STRICTLY TRUE. But it did not pacify McGivney, who was in a black fury. It might have been worth thousands of dollars to you, he declared. He's the biggest fish we'll ever get on our hook. Won't he come again? asked grief-stricken Peter. No, declared the other. They'll get him at his home city. But won't that do? asked Peter naively. You damned fool, was McGivney's response. We wanted him here, where we could pluck him ourselves the rat-faced man hadn't intended to tell peter so much, but in his rage he let it out. He and a couple of his friends had planned to get something on this young millionaire and scare the wits out of him, with the idea that he would put up a good many thousand dollars to be let off. Peter might have had his share of this, only he had been fool enough to let the bird get out of his net. Peter offered to follow the young man to his home city and find some way to lure him back into McGivney's power after mcgivney had stormed for a while he decided that this might be possible he would talk it over with the others and let peter know but alas when peter picked up an afternoon newspaper next day he read on the front page how young lackman stepping off the train in his home city that morning had been placed under arrest his school had been raided and half a dozen of the teachers were in jail and a ton of red literature had been confiscated and a swarm of dire conspiracies against the safety of the country had been laid bare peter read this news and knew that he was in for another stormy hour with his boss but he hardly gave a thought to it because of something which had happened a few minutes before something of so much greater importance a messenger had brought him a special delivery letter and with thumping heart he had torn it open and read all right meet me in the waiting-room of guggenheim's department store at two o'clock this afternoon but for god's sake forget nell Doolin." yours edith eustace so here was peter dressed in his best clothes as for his temporary honeymoon with the grass widow and on the way to the rendezvous an hour ahead of time And here came Nell, also dressed, every garment so contrived that a single glance would tell the beholder that their owner was moving in the highest circles, and regardless of expense. Nell glanced over her shoulder now and then as she talked, and explained that Ted Crothers, the man with the bulldog face, was a terror, and it was hard to get away from him, because he had nothing to do all day. The waiting room of a big department store was not the place Peter would have selected for the pouring out of his heart. But he had to make the best of it, so he told Nell that he loved her, that he would never be able to love anybody else, and that he had made piles of money now. He was high up on the ladder of prosperity. Nell did not laugh at him, as she had laughed in the temple of Jim for it was easily to be seen that Peter Gudge was no longer a scullion, but a man of the world with a fascinating air of mystery nell wanted to know forthwith what was he doing he answered that he could not tell it was a secret of the most desperate import he was under oath these were the days of german spies and bomb plots when kings and kaisers and emperors and czars were pouring treasures into america for all kinds of melodramatic purposes also the days of government contracts and secret deals, when in the lobbies and private meeting-places of hotels, like the De Soto, there were fortunes made and unmade every hour. So it was easy for Nell to believe in a real secret, and, being a woman, she put all her faculties upon the job of guessing it. She did not again ask Peter to tell her, but she let him talk, and tactfully guided the conversation and before long she knew that Peter was intimate with a great many of the most desperate Reds, and likewise that he knew all about the insides of the Goober case, and about the great men of American City who had put up a million dollars for the purpose of hanging Goober, about the various ways in which this money had been spent, and wires had been pulled to secure a conviction. Nell put two and two together, and before long she figured out that the total was four. She suddenly confronted Peter with this total, and Peter was dumb with consternation, and broke down and confessed everything, and told Nell all about his schemes and his achievements and his adventures, omitting only little Jenny and the grass widow. He told about the sums he had been making and was expecting to make. He told about Lackman, and showed Nell the newspaper with pictures of the young millionaire and his school.
1: "'What
0: a handsome fellow!' said Nell. "'It's a shame.' "'How do you mean?' asked Peter, a little puzzled. Could it be that Nell had any sympathy for these reds? I mean, she answered, that he'd have been worth more to you than all the rest put together. Nell was a woman, and her mind ran to the practical aspect of things. Look here, Peter, she said. You've been letting those dicks work you. They're getting the swag and just giving you tips. What you need is somebody to take care of you. Peter's heart leaped. "'Will you do it?' he cried. "'I've got Ted on my hands,' she said. "'He'd cut my throat, and yours too, if he knew I was here. "'But I'll try to get myself free, and then maybe, I won't promise, "'but I'll think over your problem, Peter, and I'll certainly try to help, "'so that McGivney and Guffey and those fellows can't play you for a sucker any longer.' "'She must have time to think it over,' she said, "'and to make inquiries about the people involved, some of whom apparently she knew.' She would meet Peter again the next day, and in a more private place than here. She named a spot in the city park which would be easy to find, and yet sufficiently remote for a quiet conference. Section 40 Peter had been made so bold by Nell's flattery and what she had said about his importance that he did not go back to McGivney to take his second scolding about the Lackman case he was getting tired of McGivney's scoldings. If McGivney didn't like his work, let McGivney go and be a red for a while himself. Peter walked the streets all day and a part of the night, thinking about Nell, and thrilling over the half-promises she had made him. They met next day in the park. No one was following them, and they found a solitary place, and Nell let him kiss her several times, and in between the kisses she unfolded to him a terrifying plan peter had thought that he was something of an intriguer but his self-esteem shrivelled to nothingness in the presence of the superb conception which had come to ripeness in the space of twenty-four hours in the brain of Doolin, alias edith eustace peter had been doing the hard work and these big fellows had been using him handing him a tip now and then and making fortunes out of the information he brought them mcgivney had let the cat out of the bag in this case of lackman You might be sure they had been making money, big money, out of all the other cases. What Peter must do was to work up something of his own, and get the real money, and make himself one of the big fellows. Peter had the facts, he knew the people. He had watched in the Goober case exactly how a frame-up was made, and now he must make one for himself, and one that would pay. It was a matter of duty to rid the country of all these Reds, but why should he not have the money as well? Nell had spent the night figuring over it, trying to pick out the right person. She had hit on old Nels Ackerman, the banker. Ackerman was enormously and incredibly wealthy. He was called the financial king of American city. Also he was old, and Nell happened to know he was a coward. He was sick in bed just now, and when a man is sick he is still more of a coward. What Peter must do was to discover some kind of a bomb-plot against old Nels Ackerman. Peter might talk up the idea among some of his reds and get them interested in it, or he might frame up some letters to be found upon them, and hide some dynamite in their rooms. When the plot was discovered, it would make a frightful uproar, needless to say. The king would hear of it, and of Peter's part as the discoverer of it, and he would unquestionably reward Peter. Perhaps Peter might arrange to be retained as a secret agent to protect the king from the reds. Thus Peter would be in touch with real money, and might hire Guffey and McGivney, instead of their hiring him. If Peter had stood alone, would he have dared so perilous a dream as this? Or was he a piker, a little fellow, the victim of his own fears and vanities? Anyhow, Peter was not alone. He had Nell, and it was necessary that he should pose before Nell as a bold and desperate blade. Just as in the old days in the temple, it was necessary that Peter should get plenty of money in order to take Nell away from another man. So he said all right, he would go in on that plan, and proceeded to discuss with Nell the various personalities he might use. The most likely was Pat McCormick. Mac, with his grim set face and his silent secretive habits, fitted perfectly to Peter's conception of a dynamiter. Also, Mac was Peter's personal enemy. Mac had just returned from his organizing trip in the oil fields, and had been denouncing Peter and gossiping about him in the various radical groups. Mac was the most dangerous red of them all. He must surely be one of the dynamiters. Another likely one was Joe Angel, whom Peter had met at a recent gathering of Ruth's Anti-Conscription League. People made jokes about this chap's name because he looked the part, with his bright blue eyes that seemed to have come out of heaven and his bright golden hair and even the memory of dimples in his cheeks but when joe opened his lips you discovered that he was an angel from the nether regions he was the boldest and most defiant of all the reds that peter had yet come upon he had laughed at ada ruth and her sentimental literary attitude toward the subject of the draft it wasn't writing poems and passing resolutions that was wanted it wasn't even men who would refuse to put on the uniform but men who would take the guns that were offered to them and drill themselves, and at the proper time face about, and use the guns in the other direction. Agitating and organizing were all right in their place, but now, when the government dared challenge the workers and force them into the army, it was men of action that were needed in the radical movement. Joe Angel had been up in the lumber country, and could tell what was the mood of the real workers, the huskies of the timberlands. Those fellows weren't doing any more talking, They had their secret committees that were ready to take charge of things as soon as they had put the capitalists and their governments out of business. Meantime, if there was a sheriff or prosecuting attorney that got too gay, they would bump him off. This was a favorite phrase of Blue-Eyed Angel. He would use it every half hour or so as he told about his adventures. Yes, he would say. He got gay. But we bumped him off all right. End of Sections 39 and 40